0: find myself a bit speechless, but I think this morning has been a lot more than normal. And it works out to be a good thing because um, I've got some people up here who will help me talk this morning. I want to introduce you to Tom Black and his daughters, Natalie and Holly, and then uh, immediately to my left, Madison Hall, this is Jim Foxworthy, otherwise known as Fox, Melissa Tabor, and J.T. Turner. And I want to I wanna let them give you a little glimpse into the faces and the stories behind what we are celebrating this morning in a way that, that I never could, based on their personal experiences and what Christ has done in their life. So I want to start with Melissa. Melissa, give us a picture. Uh, You went to Venezuela with the children's ministry trip, and Kimberly Bankston threw you in the deep end from the very beginning and asked you right when you got there, first full day, uh, to share your testimony in a worship service. Tell us a little bit about that process and what you spoke on and how God taught you through that.
1: Um, To start off with, when she asked me to share in the worship service. I said, no God, not me. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the VBS craft planner. I'm not the speaker. And see, here I am sitting here in front of all of you too. God has a much bigger plan. Um, so I started to plan for that worship service and God led me to Psalms 18, which is such a representation of my salvation. It says that in my distress, he heard me and he rescued me because he delighted in me. So I was gonna share that day with those people that he delighted in them as well, and I did. But what I also learned, what God showed me, was that he didn't just save me that day in the middle of all the turmoil for me, but he saved me for those people in Venezuela that day. For that day, for that time, he saved me So it was amazing to to realize that, but when I got home, I realized even more, and it just continues to unfold, that he not only saved me for me, he not only saved me for those people in Venezuela, but he saved me for my neighbors, he saved me for my friends, he saved me for the Hispanic community in Birmingham, he saved me for my children and he saved you for somebody too. And I'm just amazed that he loved me enough to use little old me to make a difference. Um,
0: well, so you had the opportunity to take your son with you to Venezuela. Tell us a little bit about how, not only your own life was impacted, but how you saw that time impact him.
1: Um, seeing Tanner, he's my eight-year-old son, on this trip has to be one of the greatest joys I'll ever experience. To see his love of Christ unfold with these children. When I would look up in the bleachers and see my baby with his backpack open, giving snacks and candy he was experiencing mercy in a way that I could never have ever taught my son. He was living it out. And he became really good friends with this little boy Angelo. He just fell in love with him. We went back to our hotel a couple days after we'd been there and decided that we would give some of Tanner's good clothes. We were leaving all of our dirty ones, but we were going to give him the good clothes. And he lived two houses down from the church. We walked down and gave them to him. So the following day, we're in this big open air, beautiful basketball court, and he walks in wearing Tanner's shorts and Tanner's hat. And the pride on my son's face was incredible for him to see what a difference that had made in that little black hat he wore it every day. So when Tanner we get home, and he just he came downstairs one day and he said, "Mom, do you realize that my bedroom is." about as big as somebody's house in Venezuela. Wow. And then he'll say, Mom, I really need that. And he stops himself with, no, I don't need anything. And in school, this is huge for me, and um, he was given an assignment to write the four most important things in his life. He wrote church, he wrote golf, he wrote his family, and he wrote Venezuela. Those were the four parts of my son's heart. He fell in love with that country. He he had fun serving God. He realized it was fun to live this life. It's good. And I'm so excited for the possibilities for my child. So does it matter that an eight-year-old goes on a mission trip? Yes. He experienced that, and he will make a difference now. He was changed. We were both changed.
0: Tom and Rick Shavlak had an opportunity to take their whole family uh, in a little bit of a weird way. Rick Sha was five and a half months pregnant, and so uh, the baby who was just born to them about a month ago also got to go with them to Venezuela. Um, Tom, taking your whole family, what did that experience teach you as a dad? How did God use that to teach you as a dad?
2: Well, the Venezuelan trip... uh taught the family a lot, but I think it really softened my heart tremendously. Um, as a father, you have tremendous aspirations for your children. You try to plan what their families are going to look like, try to encourage them in careers if that's the path they choose. And when I came back and I saw the servant nature of a lot of the nationals, especially Caleb Bell, I thought... Uh, what an honor it would be, and how foolish am I to think I can plan my children's lives. But if they felt Christ leading them in a direction to the mission field, uh, I would do everything I could to support them and, and uh, just be honored that Rick and I led them in a, a direction in a young life that they got to know the Lord, and that they felt that Christ was leading them to the mission field. Uh, I could think of no greater joy. Natalie and Holly,
0: tell us a little bit about what you guys did in Venezuela.
1: Well, we got to do the children's carnivals in the communities around the city dump. We played, we just got to love on the children and play with them and tell them we cared about each one of them. We played ball and frisbee and hand games and painted nails and faces. It was so much fun. It was by far our favorite part. I was amazed how much how much we have and how little we have, or how little they have. It was a big difference. I was even embarrassed when we got home because we have so much compared to them. And also, they were so giving. They'd give you anything
0: and everything they had. Um, Charlie, one of the nationals, he gave our mom one of his most prized possessions pictures of each of his family members with the names and birthdays on the back. And also, the language was not a problem because um,
1: a smile, hug, and tears means the same thing in any language as it does in
3: English.
0: Mm -hmm. You guys, tell us a little bit about uh, even the journey leading up to going to Venezuela and how God used this experience before you even set foot there to teach you guys
2: well as David said the journey was tremendous Uh, it was an emotional roller coaster. for those of you that don't know uh, what happened Uh, we spent 10 hours at the airport uh, on Monday uh, with a pregnant wife a 3 year old and 2 other daughters and uh, we got word at the end of the day that the charter had been cancelled and we sent everyone home so we spent Tuesday in front of the computer every 15 minutes looking for an update uh, whether or not uh, the trip was actually going to take place. And at noon, we got a phone call saying, report to the church for our emergency meeting at 6 o'clock on Tuesday night. At that time, I realized how much effort uh, my daughters and Rick she had put into the trip from buying supplies to going door-to-door making beaded crosses, selling them, spreading the gospel in our neighborhood, taking it to the soccer field, selling them from parent to parent, uh, across fields throughout the southeast. That at that meeting, we realized that only the worship team was gonna go and those that were instrumental in putting in, putting on the conference. Well, we were all pretty devastated to say the least. Uh, we went home crushed. Um, Five minutes after we get home, we get a phone call and they say, hey, we have tickets for the Blacks. Well, at this time, the emotional roller coaster that took the toll on the girls was now taking an effect on me. I started to contemplate, God, is this what you have for my family? Uh, Should I now be flying on a commercial flight going through Caracas instead of taking a direct charter? Uh, I really started to question whether or not I should be going. And at that time, uh, my daughter comes down with tears streaming down her face, and this is what she said.
1: God had provided for my family. It was so cool. God had provided.
2: And it was at that point that Rick and I looked at each other and said, well, let's pack up the bags. Uh, we need to have childlike faith, and I know he'll protect us, and we'll make it through, and let's go.
0: Fox, you had an opportunity to go with your entire family too, but this was was not the first time you'd been overseas by any means. Fox has spent the last 10 plus years uh, in one sense rearranging his career to be able to be involved in what God's doing around the world. But tell us a little bit about what it was like to take your whole family for the first time for all of you to be together. And then also if there was anything different about this particular trip that God showed you or taught you, Uh, that may have been even different from what what he's done in the last 10 plus years.
3: Well, it was uh, an incredible joy and blessing to have my entire family uh, on this trip. We had been on several trips in the past, and we've had one of our children with us, but never both of them. And so, to have the whole family together on this trip was just an incredible blessing. Um, As David said going on several trips, we see life's change uh, on these trips and we see uh, hearts change on the ground with the people that we're going to serve and we see hearts change with the people that are going to serve them. And um, that happens every trip we've been on. On this trip it was a little bit different in that we saw the hearts change on the ground with the people in Honduras open to uh, just accept what God had in store for them. But also, the people that went on our trip from Brook Hills, uh, their hearts were changed in a little bit different way. And that was that um, there was a large number that were very convicted not to just give 2% of their time uh, on a a once-a-year mission trip, but to transform the other 98% of their life so that they could serve people back here in in Birmingham and make disciples here. So when we returned, we um, had a number of people together that were on the trip and we prayed and asked God for guidance on what we should do with that strong conviction. Uh, He led us to form a small group to serve and to disciple in Avondale. And we started meeting in our home And it wasn't but two or three weeks, I guess, into that when God had done so much work so fast in Avondale in making disciples that we realized that our call was to actually be in Avondale. So we started going to Avondale um, every week on Sunday evening to have our small group there so that we could uh, be closer to the community and serve them and disciple them in their own backyard, so to speak and disciples are being made in Avondale. We are now in the process of praying about um, what kind of mission trip we're gonna take as a small group next year. And our plans are to include some of the people from Avondale to join us on that trip because they are, their hearts are changed and being changed and they wanna multiply that as well uh, around the world and here in Birmingham and other communities. And if we had not gone to Honduras, there are a number of people in Avondale right now that wouldn't be calling Jesus their Lord and Savior. Praise and glory be to God.
0: I remember when this group got back from Honduras, and they just… It was a whole crowd that greeted me in between services down here, and they were… They were just fanatic. They were just, they were, they were so excited about what God had done, about what they were wanting to do. And uh, many of them saying, up until this trip, we were anonymous worshipers at Brook Hills, really kind of on the fringe in this big church. And they said, now we want to be a part of leading in this mission at Brook Hills. And that's exactly what they're doing. Now, Most of the folks up here have spent uh, a week or so overseas. Madison Hall, to my left here, uh, spent an entire summer overseas in Ukraine. And so Madison, give us a little glimpse, obviously there's a whole other picture that happens once you're there beyond one week and beyond two weeks and three weeks. How how did God teach you and, and, and mold you during that time in Ukraine?
4: Um, Well, one of the first things and uh, the major things that I learned um, happened within the first week and a half. I got there and was, you know, I had my sign job and then I was doing another job and trying to figure out how everything was going to work and function and how we were going to work as a team. Um, And after about a week, I was emotionally and spiritually and physically spent already. Um, And so I was just very frustrated and wondering why, because I was serving and doing, but it just seemed like um, everything I did made me more exhausted and I called my dad um, just explaining to him the frustration and Um, he said, Madison, it is great that you're doing all of these things, but you have two responsibilities that are way more important. And the first one is to love God with all of your heart. Um, He has a relationship with you and he's created you to, um, to love him first. Um, And so that was the first thing I needed to work on was, was loving God. And then out of that Um, He said, Madison, out of that love for God should flow a love for his people, um, your brothers and sisters and the people who have yet to know him. um, Love them and serve them, and out of the love for them comes the actions. But um, when I was doing and doing and doing and wondering why it wasn't working, it was because um, I wasn't loving first. Um, And so that's something that I can even carry um, into my life
0: now. We had a bunch of students who went over to Ukraine and spent a week where Madison was. Madison, give us a little glimpse into maybe a highlight picture of how God used this faith family in in Ukraine and how that impacted our students.
4: Um, Kevin and Wes, our youth ministers, took a group of 19 students from Brook Hills um, to come for two weeks to teach English. Um, on the fourth night of camp, we called it Repentance Night, um, Kevin had been presenting the gospel slowly, um, throughout the week. Um, and on this night, he laid it out there and gave an invitation for these kids to come and, um, have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, um. And I was up in the balcony um, watching all of this happen, and he asked the kids to, you know, if they wanted to make that decision to come down the aisles. And as we looked down on it, um, they had formed a cross in the middle of the, of the aisles and in front of the stage um, where Kevin was. And so um, what a picture that was to see them kneeling and, um, and praying for salvation, and just the picture of that um, in the cross. And they didn't even know it. Um, and then afterwards, um, they went to pray with their counselors, and we, all the Americans, went down um, these kids have a hard, hard life. Um, after choosing to be a follower of Christ, um, we went to pray for their discipleship process and who would um, who would lead them. Um, and so, as we were praying, um, Kevin was explaining, you know, from his point of view, what had happened while he was down there. And we looked at the ground, and um, you know, I thought in my head, it hadn't been raining outside, and it, it was really muddy in the front. And he said, "Guys, that's not that's not water. That's their tears." Um, and these kids had just been kneeling down and pouring their hearts out and just crying um, for a father. And so I will not um, forget that.
0: Praise God. Uh, JT, you're all over the place, man. I mean, you're traveling here and there at different times, different places. Uh, and you've got a privilege of seeing things inside Brook Hills and being a part of trips that are all Brook Hills folks, but then you also have a privilege of leading other groups as well. Can you give us maybe a picture into how what God's doing at Brook Hills is uh, having a ripple effect outside of Brook Hills?
5: Yeah, it's an exciting thing to be in the position that I'm in. Mean, I share with people all the time. I have the best job in the world and I have a blast uh, just serving the king. And this, uh, this spring in May, I had the privilege of going on a global effort to Venezuela where many of our folks have gone this year. Uh, the joy of that was I met an individual on that trip uh, named Jason Phillips, and he's a pastor at First Baptist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. He had come over for a secret church in the spring and had met Billy and met David and, and had a relationship there. But uh, we got to know each other on that trip to the point that Billy kind of thrust us into a very interesting environment. We found ourselves in maximum security prison in Venezuela with no guards. Uh, It was Jason and myself and two other members of our church. uh, uh, Bill and and Jack were with us. Jack was a seasoned prison guy. Uh, Not that he had spent time in prison, but uh, he he, uh, does prison ministry a good bit here. And uh, so we found ourselves in this prison yard with 125 men. And and we together were able to see uh, God call out an individual. We presented the gospel and shared it boldly and asked for one to step forth. And one, one stepped forward out of 125 men and said, I want to, to have Jesus as my Savior. And then we called out of the crowd of believers that had gathered there one who would be willing to come over and be that individual's disciple, who will come teach this man the word of God. And one man walked across the yard and stood beside this this one new believer. And I was able to stand there and say, this is, this is your disciple E. This is your disciple-er. This is your teacher. This is, this is the one you're going to teach. Teach him the word of God. And, And God used that to stir my heart and many of our hearts, but also Jason's heart as he went home to his church in Alpharetta and and led them on another mission effort this fall, just a few weeks ago, to Sells, Arizona, Indian Reservation, far southern part of Arizona. And, And there he brought with him an individual named Mike, and Mike was a welder. Never had a welder on a trip before, so I'm racking my brain the whole week. How can I use a welder on a, on a mission trip? How can I use these skills that he has? And it wasn't until the very last day that we're able to use his welding skills to, to weld together these scrap pieces of metal and this long uh, rail for skateboarding for the kids out there. And as a result of doing that, he shares with me a story about his business that he has a, a business back home that when he left, out of faithfulness to come on this trip, he didn't have any work. He didn't know how he was going to pay the bills. When he got home, he was expecting to have difficulty. And the the last day of the trip, Friday of the trip, his wife calls and says, I can't wait for you to get home because we have more work than you can possibly do on your own. And as a result of his obedience and, and following God and being, being on the field and trusting him, he went home and found more work than he could possibly do himself so he hired other individuals and just this past week I got an email from him saying JT would you pray for me I've got this individual that I hired and I know that he's struggling with some addiction in his life and I know that he's struggling with things but but I know God's brought him to me and the last line of his email said JT I believe this this is my one for the year
0: so, JT, tell me this. I mean, do you really think one can have an impact? Uh, what, how have you seen that played out this year? If you really believe one can have an impact, give us a picture of what that might look like.
5: The one can make a difference. For years, I've shared with folks, uh, I challenge folks in ministry, I'm looking for the Peter. Is, is one of you willing to stand up and be the one who proclaims boldly the truth of God's Word and, and all the world comes to know Him, but, it, but especially one willing to take a bold stand? We, we found ourselves this summer in, in a place that was stretching to me. I've spent most of my ministry here in the States, not going out of this country, not doing ministry internationally, and I found myself in South Africa uh, in a township of over a million people, and I'm sitting in a, in a squatter's town of a million people, and I find that God has led us to this one individual named Jonathan. Uh, Some friends of mine on the trip, uh, Jonathan Knight and Jason and Jenny Waltman, were talking to these two individuals, Jonathan and Joseph, brothers, and introduced me to them, and we began to share with them to the point that we finished our conversation uh, that afternoon with me handing them a Bible with Romans 10, 9, and 10 underlined. And I shared with them, if you'll just take this and you'll just read this, and if this is the desire of your heart, do what it says. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you'll find salvation. And they took that book. We prayed with them and went, went home for the night and went back the next day. And as we arrived the next day, they, they come out of their house sling open the gate and come and embrace us with this big hug, which is a kind of a rare occasion for me, especially considering I'm in South Africa. I'm a white man with a beard. Um, and the majority of the persecution of this man named Jonathan came from white men with beards. And yet in his street, openly, he's embracing me. And he goes on to share with us that, that last night we took the words that you shared with us, we read, and we confess him as Lord changed everything that we were planning on doing. I, I spent my entire week right there in that one house. I walk, literally walked across the street from where we parked our van and stayed in one place, one house, all week long, teaching and sharing and, and, and just opening God's Word and letting the Word of God come into their life in such a way that Jonathan began to share with me these things. Now, Jonathan is a man of, of some years. He's He's older than me. He's Grew up in the, in the same tribe as Nelson Mandela and spent time in prison with Mandela because of being a freedom fighter. And here's a man who knows persecution but knows forgiveness and looks at me and says, JT must teach us so we can teach our community, so we can share with our community. Nine languages spoken in this one township alone. And he looks at me and says, this new believer looks at me and says, JT, you don't speak those languages, but I do. You must teach me so then I can share with my people in these languages. Since that time, receiving emails and updates of what God is doing didn't need us to be there. Didn't need us to, to go and to, to even show up on the site. But God led us to this place in order to bless our hearts and to grow the kingdom of God since that time. These two gentlemen, Jonathan and Joseph, have begun to share what they have learned And since that time, three house churches have been planted in a township. Now we left there on August 18th. It it hadn't been that long a time since we left. And yet these two young believers have started three new gatherings in this township. That's, That's more church plants than most churches in America do the entire life of their church. Yes, I believe one man chosen by God like this can literally change the world. Yes, all it takes is one to change our world.
0: You know what excites me most? Is the fact that the seven people that are surrounding me right now are seven stories and there are literally a thousand other stories represented across this faith family, every single one of which could share this story or that story. There are ones all across this faith family, and not just in this faith family. There are ones in Honduras, and there are ones in Venezuela, and there are ones in South Africa, and there are ones in the Ukraine. There are ones in each of these countries that God has given us the privilege of partnering with. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not involve us in this mission because he needs us. He involves us in this mission because he loves us. He loves us deeply. He has the power to write Romans 10, 9 and 10 in the clouds and introduce all people in all nations to the gospel. But instead, he has chosen to use you and me as his plan A to reach the world with the gospel. And I submit to you this morning, there is no greater purpose in life than that. To make the glory of the Christ who saved us and delighted us, to make his glory known in all the world. This is worth giving our lives to. It's worth giving his church to. This is what we were created to do. Will you pray with me? God, we... We praise you for your grace. We praise you for your mercy that makes this mission a possibility. God, we thank you all across this room for the salvation you have given to us. We thank you for saving us from our sins. We thank you for delighting in us when our sins were thick and dark and heavy. You took the burden of that sin upon yourself, Lord Jesus, and you gave yourself on a cross on our behalf all glory be to your name we praise you for your life for your death for your resurrection for your ascension for the fact that you are seated at the right hand of the Father now interceding on our behalf and giving us the privilege of being a part of making your glory known in all the earth God we praise you for this honor and we pray That we as a church would not let this mission pass us by. We pray that you would daily, monthly, yearly, God, make us a church that is more deeply abandoned to this mission. And we pray that ones would be raised up all across this faith family and ones raised up all across the nations and that together we can partner in spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, may it be so. In your name we pray. Amen.